Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are in the thick of training camp as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 68. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell for the first time of the 2016 season to talk about the Eagles as camp is in full stride here in Philadelphia. Greg and I chat about a few key topics after we watch some practice as we preview some things to watch for this upcoming preseason game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After my talk with Greg, we transition to two technique where I caught up with one player that has really caught my eye so far this summer in defensive end Stephen Means. I caught up with Stephen to break down the spin move as a pass rusher. You do not want to miss that. Then we wrap it up with our scouting report where I get in my notes on a player that has probably been one of the stars of camp so far, Eagles tight end Trey Burton. We have got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. Last week, I spent a few minutes with Craig Cosell after practice to collect our thoughts about what we saw. Let's get to that interview now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very, very happy to be joined by NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back to the NovaCare Complex. Hope you had a great offseason, meaning uh, the last three weeks. uh, (laughs) Was there? You mean the non-season? Correct. That's what we say at NFL Films, the non-season. Exactly right. Right. Well, uh, look, we we both just got to watch uh, practice. It's Thursday right now. Uh, Obviously, you're listening to this later in the week, but... What did you see out there at practice? What were some things that impressed you from your first full-padded Doug Peterson practice? Well, I really liked the whole tempo of practice. Uh, It was a long practice, but it didn't feel that way. I I liked the other thing that really stood out to me, and and this is what the NFL is, is I loved the emphasis today on situational football. A ton of red zone and a ton of third down. And there are many who would argue that – on both sides of the ball, red zone and third down may be the two most important situations in football. Uh, and today was a major emphasis in both those areas, and I, I really liked that approach, and I think that's critical to getting players to understand the importance of those situations because you have to practice those situations, and those situations are different. The, the plays are different. The concepts can be different. The mindset's different. And I think that all starts in training camp. Yeah, for you listeners that have been listening throughout the summer, you'll remember a few, a few weeks ago we had Travis Manger on the first week of July, and he talked about all the different things that they do, coaches, to prepare their players for different situations throughout the game, red zone, goal line, short yardage, third down, all those situations, and they all get practiced heavily once you get into the training camp. Greg, were there some players that stood out to you as well today? Uh, you know, I was trying to watch. You always try to watch as much as you can. I'm very big with concepts. I was real anxious to see the, the pass game concepts, the run game concepts, the defensive concepts under new coordinator Jim Schwartz. Uh, but I thought Carson Wentz really threw the ball very, very well today. Uh, you can really see the ball jump out of his hand. Uh, he's got a very good arm, probably the best arm of the quarterbacks uh, on this team. I know he's technically at number three right now. Um, I thought, uh, I'm trying to think defensively who, uh, who stood out. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, what is really compelling as we go forward. And you and I talked about this on the sideline. There's tremendous, 
tremendous depth in the secondary. Yep. And I'm really anxious to see how that plays out. I mean, I asked you about a player who, who kept making plays, and you said he's a Canadian uh, player named Grimes. And again, I have no idea what his status is. You know, with a new coaching staff, you never know. That's the thing. All of a sudden, a guy shows up day in and day out, and not only do the coaches know that, but the players know that, and then it get, it's hard to get rid of a guy like that. And you would mention Grimes has made plays every single day, and he stood out again today. Yeah, no question about it. Well, let's let's get back to the to the schematics. Of and Marshall, by the way, Byron Marshall. Byron Marshall. I wanted to mention absolutely. him, yeah, because I thought he he really caught the ball well. Yes, absolutely. So uh, let's get back to the schematic end of things. And you know, you have Doug Peterson, you have Frank Wright coming over from San Diego. One of the big concepts that were prevalent in both of those offenses last year in Kansas City and San Diego, the three-level stretch, yep. something we saw a good, good bit amount of today. Uh, what, can you break down for us sure. the three-level stretch and why it's so effective? Yeah, and, and some people call it the flood concept. Yep. Basically what you're doing is you're ending up with three routes to the same side of the field at three different levels, a vertical route, an intermediate route, and a short route hence three-level stretch. And now the three receivers do not have to start on the side of the field in which they run the three-level stretch. Normally the vertical guy will, for obvious reasons, because he's got to run vertically on that side of the field. But the intermediate route is really the option-type route. In, in, in that I mean that route can come from the same side of the field or from the other side of the field and work across as the intermediate route. And then you've got a short route, which can be a flat route, or it can be, you know, it can be any type of route that's really under 10 yards. It can't be more than 10 yards. And what that does is it forces the defense to have to play all the levels. Because if you're going to run someone vertically, either a corner has to run with him or a safety on that side has to run with him. And it, it just opens up space. You're trying to create space. A lot of people talk about basketball and they think about floor spacing. In a sense, you're trying to do the same thing with this route concept. You're trying to create field spacing and open up space. And very often, if the design of the play works really well, you hit the intermediate route because built into a three-level stretch concept very often is what we call a high-low concept, where the intermediate route and the short route put an underneath defender in a bind. You're, you're high-lowing him. If he stays low, you can throw it to the intermediate receiver. If he drops deep to try to take away the intermediate route, you throw it to the short receiver. So three-level stretches, uh, uh, the high-low concept is often nested within the three-level stretch concept. And one of the reasons why it's called flood, and if you can picture this in your mind as you're listening, uh, is it's very, very rare that you're going to get three defenders along one sideline in Correct. terms of a zone coverage. So if you're, you're putting three routes on one side of the field and there's only two defenders there, Two defenders cannot cover three receivers, so you're flooding a zone. And when you do that, like Greg said, you're going to put one of those one of those two defenders is going to be in a bind. And very often it is that underneath receiver, especially when you have that intermediate route coming from the opposite side of the field. That underneath defender is not going to see that all the time. He's not going to be able to see the receiver That's coming a great from thirty point. yards away. In a zone concept, that underneath defender does not see an intermediate route coming from what would essentially be the back side, not the front side, the back side, and it's very, very difficult. And it's funny, I said to you uh, while we were watching that 
so many of the concepts I saw today watching the, the Eagles pass game, I saw watching the Kansas City Chiefs offense over the last number of years. And tra- uh, Travis Kelsey, the tight end for Kansas City, who very often ran their intermediate routes, although it doesn't have to be a tight end, he was really, really good, even when he started on the same side of making it appear that he was working across the field, away from the three-level stretch side, and then he would come back. So, uh, so the underneath defender would totally pass on Kelsey because it looked like he was going away, and then Kelsey would wheel back and would be wide open on the intermediate route. Well, I'm glad you brought up Travis Kelsey because it really segues well into the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is the use of the middle of the field and all the different weapons. Which should uh, bring us Eagles to Trey have. Burton as well. He's yeah. a player who I, I thought stood out as well. But go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, so, that, I mean, that's the thing that's really, really impressive so far. We talked about this when Doug Peterson was first hired. When you look at the way that they use all the different personnel groupings out there in Kansas City, and you have so many different looks, formations, personnel groupings, and the ability to attack matchups and take advantage yep. of an offensive matchup in your favor when you have players like Zach Ertz, you have players like Trey Burton, uh, you have players like a Byron Marshall, Darren Sproles, Kenyon Barner. We saw catch a, a wheel out for a touchdown yesterday in, in Wednesday's practice. I think you're going to see a lot of those running back tight end matchups taken advantage of in this offense. That's a great point. And, the, you know, it's funny. The other thing that stood out today now that I, as we're just talking, was all the shifting in motion. Yeah. Which obviously was not a part of Chip Kelly's offense because of the tempo element. But so much shifting in motion, so many different personnel packages – you're so right about the matchup element, and it's not just the tight ends, but I, I remember watching the Chiefs last year and seeing them often start with what looked like a basic pro set, and then they'd shift to an empty set, and they'd end up with Jeremy Macklin being an inside slot and running his route against a safety, and that's a matchup you'll take any day of the week. And see, that's why coaching is so important, because you look at someone like Nelson Aguilar, who's so critical, I think, to this team this year. He may not be the kind of guy you can line up as an X receiver, meaning the weak side receiver against a corner who he's going to have to beat one-on-one on on isolation routes on the outside. He may not be that kind of receiver. But if you can create opportunities for him through shifting, motion, formation variation to get him matched up, whether it's on, on a linebacker or on a safety, then he becomes an important piece of an offense. But if you just line him up at X and say, okay, you got to win, that's then he's not going to reach the level of play that he could likely reach. And and that's what's really interesting, too, is when you look at the way that Kansas City used Travis Kelsey, but then also look at Frank Reich and what he did with players uh, both in the backfield and at the tight end position. You look at in Cleveland what John DeFlippo did last year with a guy, uh, the the tight end in Cleveland, whose name was with Gary Barnage, of course, uh, and what they were able to do in the passing game. It's, a, it's an offensive staff filled with a lot of creative minds and, and ways to attack Correct. defenses in, in a multitude of ways. You know, and I, and I think about Keenan Allen in San Diego, whose body type is very similar to Jordan Matthews. That's a good point. And, I didn't think about that. And I think the way they, they used Keenan Allen in motion an awful lot, lined him up in, in different spots, and how effective he was. Not a vertical guy, but really a tough physical first down move the chains guy I would imagine they see that Frank Reich certainly from being in San Diego sees Jordan Matthews as that kind of receiver all right so two things I want to ask about on the other side of the football uh one player we saw taking first team reps today was uh defensive tackle Mike Martin yeah who was a, who was a third round pick 
uh, of the Tennessee Titans a few years ago. Kind of a plugger. People thought he could come in and be a, a, you know, a base defense, you know, no shade type player. Not really a three technique, but they don't need a three technique. They've got Fletcher Cox. Yeah. He's pretty good. That's what I was going to ask you. So, yeah. so what are your overall feelings on, on Mike Martin? You know, I liked him uh, and when he came out of Michigan. I thought he had a chance to be – I saw him more as a rotational player in the sense that he's not going to play, obviously, in pass rush situations. Um, but I think that he's a plugger. And – you know, again, you know, we, we know what Benny Logan has done here for two years, and he's been very, very good. So it's, it's – I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think he's going to take Benny Logan's spot, but I think – you know, I think Mike Martin as a rotational guy who can get some snaps inside, I, if he can play to the level of his ability, which, you know, some guys don't always do that or, or for whatever reason, then he may have a chance to win a spot on this team. And then let's get to a coverage that you and I talked about uh, on the sidelines during yeah. practice today. And it's a coverage. It's one of my favorite coverages in football. We, I highlighted yeah. it in my Jim Schwartz piece back in the spring. And that's cover Was that Jim man. Schwartz or Jim Schwartz? Jim Schwartz. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you have Jim Schwartz's cover two man. And yeah. it, you know, what you basically have is you have two high safeties, man coverage underneath. It's a four-man rush. But what are some of the pros and yeah. some of the cons of playing in two-man? To me, one of the advantages of playing two-man is that you don't need great corners because they have this, the, the two safeties over the top so they can what we call undercut or tailgate receivers. In other words, they can literally let wideouts run by them and then undercut routes knowing that they have help over the top. They do not have to be worried about being beaten deep, and that is so critical. So, so you're not asking a corner to really line up and play pure man right. because they're, not, they're playing man, but it's not pure man. So you don't have to have absolutely outstanding man-to-man corners. And what you do is you take away a lot of throws for the quarterback. You make those throws more difficult, I should say, because yeah. quarterbacks still make those throws. Um, the key to a coverage like that is the four-man pressure sure. because you can't cover for four or five seconds. You know, you talk about a lot of coverages, whether it's zone or man, and the way coaches view this is they often view this as, hey, for the first two seconds, it's on the coverage. After that, it's on the pass rush. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, and that's the way it works. Yeah, no question. And it's interesting that uh, you brought up the idea that you don't need good corners to or, run or this great scheme. Corner. You don't need right, great right, corners right. to run the scheme. Um, but it's interesting. It's a coverage that I saw a lot. In, with the Jets last year uh, with Todd Bowles. Obviously, they've got uh, Darrell Rivas. Right. They've got a number of very, very talented corners because what it allows you to do, it allows you to be very aggressive on Correct. the outside because Correct. you've got that safety help. Like you mentioned, you can undercut routes. You and you can, can jump chances. routes. You can jump you routes. Can jump routes. Because you've got that safety Correct. help behind you. That's the critical piece. You can jump routes as well. And, and that's so, so important, uh, particularly depending on down and distance. I mean, if you're playing it on third and five or six, where a quick throw, short throw can get a first down, you can jump those routes because you know you have help over. Let's say it's, it, the offense wants to run sluggo, slant and go. You can jump the slant because you know that the safety is over the top and and the goal part of it's not likely to be there no exactly right well greg cosell very very excited to get the season going here uh and join you on a weekly basis here on the eagle in the sky podcast we'll talk to you soon thanks uh it's amazing that next week we'll be ready to go there'll be no break after next week no exactly right and we get things going well thanks again for joining us uh we'll talk to you next week great stuff from greg and again you can follow him on twitter just like i do 
at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes the podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show. But the other is to go into iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean, wherever you listen to the show, give us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to KCM81, who left a great question on our iTunes page this week after giving a five-star rating. And KC asked, now that the season's almost here, what types of topics we'll be discussing throughout the fall? And Casey, it's a great question, and it's a perfect opportunity to take a look at what I've got in store for the show this season, the third season of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, which is a little bit hard to believe. But as always, every week we'll be joined by Greg. You just listen to him talk for 10 minutes or so. We're going to break down the tape of the Eagles' previous game and preview the upcoming opponent from an all-22 perspective. So you know we'll get into some very deep discussions at the top of the show each week in Chalk Talk. After talking with Greg, I'll take an in-depth look at a key player on the opposing team that the Eagles will need to focus on in our scouting report segment before we jump into the locker room to break down a technique in our two-technique segment. That's backed by popular demand on this show. I've got some other great things up my sleeve, though, too. So... Don't be surprised if there's some new twists or some more access on a weekly basis this year. And I'm happy to report that we'll also have a video segment of this show that will go up each week on the Eagles official app, as well as on all of our digital channels. So stay tuned for that in the coming weeks as well. So thanks to KCM81 and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all of the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier we would jump into the locker room to talk with Stephen Means to break down the spin move as a pass rusher. Let's get to that conversation now in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles defensive end Stephen Means and Stephen wanted to talk to you about the spin move and help you take fans through that move from snap to finish. Yeah, um, a spin move is is a counter. It's like a changeup. Uh, you set him up with speed, make him think you're going up field, and as soon as he get ready to sit and try to throw you by, put the brakes on, and you you would call it a dent ice pick. You supposed to dent your arm. Just like swipe his hands down and get yourself clear, and then when you spin back, you got to throw with everything to try to make sure he don't he don't recover. I, I don't want to tip your hand, obviously. I don't want to give away any state secrets, but when you're watching tackles on tape, is there something that can kind of tip you off and say, "Yeah, the spin move's going to work on this guy," or is it more of a game by game thing? Um, yeah, you can tell from the people, you know, the personnel wise. Uh, some guys they 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 set a lot more down, and you know, you see some people who try to try to run people by, and those are people who you who you can really get with the spin move. Great stuff there from Steven. He's one of the players that has really stood out to me so far through the first couple weeks of camp. He's relentless. He flies off the ball. He's all kinds of twitched up. He's made some plays on special teams, in pursuit, on defense, getting into the backfield. I'm really, really excited to see him in live action on Thursday night. A couple of other players that have me excited. Jalen Watkins, I think he's had a strong camp at safety. He's made a ton of really big plays in pass coverage, breaking on passes in the back end. Joe Walker, the Eagles' final selection in April's draft, he's fighting for a spot on the back end of the depth chart at linebacker. Really excited to see him show up on Thursday because I think he's had a pretty surprising good camp. And lastly, I think a lot of people would say this, he's probably the most productive player all camp. I'm using air quotes there, obviously, in terms of production. But 
he has been all over the field, and that's Trey Burton, who, who seems to fit in really well with what Doug Peterson wants to do offensively with all the different personnel groupings and all the formation variation. He's lined up in a bunch of spots, and that's not something that, he was, unf- that was unfamiliar to him because if you caught last week's Eagles Insider podcast with Chris McPherson and Alex Smith, you know his background, all the changes he went through during his high school and college career on the football field. So that got me thinking, I don't think I've ever done – my notes on Trey Burton with you guys. So let's wrap this show up with our scouting report on Trey Burton. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so quickly as we start this segment, let me take you back to spring of 2014. The Eagles had just finished up the 2014 draft, and we had our our show, Eagles Draft Live, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and on the Eagles mobile app. And afterwards, on the day three of the draft, we all go out. Everybody on the production team, we all go out. We have, uh, we have some some food. We have some drinks. We you know we celebrate three days worth of long work. Really, a whole spring's worth of long work. But I'm sitting there in the corner and I'm I'm checking Twitter and I'm seeing who who are the Eagles rumored to be signing. And I can remember sitting there at Chickies and Pete's actually around the corner and thinking, man, the Eagles. Are, the, it sounds like they're going to bring in Trey Burton. I loved. Trey Burton at Florida because this kid listed 6'2", 224 pounds. He played five different positions during his time with the Gators. He had outstanding positional versatility, and I remember watching him and thinking, man, this kid, he's much more polished than you would think for a player that moved around as much as he did throughout his career. Now, he was listed as a wide receiver in his senior season, but he lined up in the slot. He lined up out wide. He lined up as a wing. He was in the backfield. Will Muschamp had a wildcat package built into the game. So you have an idea of what kind of athlete he was for a projection at the tight end position. Now, he's got, he had good speed in college, proved that he could run away from linebackers in the open field. He was one of those athletic mismatch type players inside because he was too big for safeties. He was too quick for linebackers. And like I said earlier, surprisingly polished route runner considering how green he was as a skill player because he went to Florida as a quarterback. He created separation at the top of his stem. He gets in and out of breaks quickly, which he still does now. Burton showed reliable hands at Florida, consistently made catches away from his frame. He had plenty of experience adjusting to poorly thrown passes in that offense. He displayed good ball skills throughout his career. With his athleticism, he certainly was a potential yards-after-catch threat, and we've seen that in flashes throughout his career here in Philadelphia. When he got the ball, I can remember the play he made against Detroit last year, uh, the game that Zach Ertz was out. Trey Burton had a good game that, that, that week on Thanksgiving Day against the Lions. Despite his size, I thought he held his own as a blocker, displayed good hand placement, aggressive, and that's what you want to see, especially from those undersized tight ends, at least the willingness to show up in the run game. Now, that being said, at 224 pounds, I wrote down back then a couple years ago, Need to add weight, need to get a bit stronger, hold up a little bit better in the run game. Too easily was shed at the point of attack. And if he transitioned to a full-time in-line position, he would need to work on his releases off the line of scrimmage as well. Now, I wrote, he may need a redshirt year. Turns out he's, he's needed a couple. as he's, He made the final 53 as a rookie, but we haven't really seen him in a full-time role offensively. But I really loved the way that this kid played at the University of Florida. He was quick, competitive. He worked at the small things both as a blocker and as a route runner, playmaker with the ball in his hands. I wrote back then, I think he could be a potential game-breaker down the line with a floor as a serviceable change-of-pace option. Well, now I think that this, he's, he's in line 
to be a big part of this Philadelphia Eagles offense. So I'm really, really excited about Trey Burton this year. It seems like this might be the year where we see him reach that ceiling. So thanks again to Greg Cosell, to Stephen Means, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. We are everywhere. So thank you. And if you get the time, rate the show. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Shoot us a question on there. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.